This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. New technology unlocks something inside of us. Hope, wonder, a sense of what if. And the mid-19th century was a great example of an era full of hope and wonder, as men, women, and families packed up their lives to pursue golden dreams in California. The gold rush drew folks from all walks of life to the West Coast, risking their future on a bet. There was no guarantee of fortune or success, but there was a chance, a possibility, which is honestly all it took. And once they arrived, it wasn't hard to see that possibility was everywhere. But while many saw it along the riverbeds or deep inside the countless mines, a small group of dreamers noticed it quite a bit higher up. They'd found each other due to their love for the sky. That was their goal, not to sift for flakes along the water, but to explore the great unknown. Among their ranks was a man named Charles August Albert Dalshu, who had come to California from Prussia by way of Texas. He was an enthusiastic participant in what can only be described as wishful experiments. Charles and all the other members of the Aero Club dreamt of soaring high above the clouds and designed all manner of machinery to get them there. Rudders, motors, and landing gear were attached to machines powered by balloons, or in some cases, a liquid fuel they called lifting fluid. But these high-flying contraptions weren't just fantasies to the Aero Club. They were real aircraft meant to be flown, and according to Charles, some actually were. The group constructed several of them, testing their viability among the nearby desert and mountains. Of course, none of these inventions have survived, so it's only fair to ask what happened to them, and why most of us have never heard of the Sonora Aero Club and its aspiring pilots. Part of the reason is because of their secrecy. Club members behaved like CIA spies, they donned disguises when meeting in public and traveled under aliases. They used codes to communicate important information or even portions of their top-secret plans. In fact, the special fuel they used to power their machines, that lifting fluid, was the reason for the group's breakup. Its creator, Peter Menace, died without having told anyone else how to make it. And that might have been how the history of the Sonora Aero Club perished, as a secret kept by several dozen men, with sky-high dreams. Charles, it seems, didn't even tell his family about how he'd spend his days in the California desert, and unfortunately, he never got the chance. Just a few years later, he lost his wife and daughter to yellow fever. He remarried, of course, but his new wife also quickly passed away, followed by another daughter. It seemed that there'd be no one left to carry on his legacy. Fate, however, had a different plan. Long after Charles passed away, his estate became the responsibility of his descendants. 
Among his property was his home in Houston, where he had first lived before coming to California. But the house caught fire in the 1960s, and much of what was inside was lost, except for a collection of unusual scrapbooks that he kept. They featured complex illustrations of dirigibles and aircraft using the kinds of technology that we can find on airplanes and helicopters today. He also kept journals where he documented his travels with the Aero Club. It seems that after his wife and daughter had passed away, Charles had started keeping notebooks, hundreds of them, in fact, by working for hours at a time to paint, draw, and write about his life. His family managed to rescue 12 of those scrapbooks, comprising of more than 2,000 double-sided pages of designs and blueprints for fantastical flying machines. They didn't see the value in them, though. They were pretty drawings, sure, but not worth anything to his surviving descendants. So they decided to trash them. A local used furniture dealer named Fred Washington stumbled upon these scrapbooks and journals and took them for himself. A few years later, around 1968, the notebooks were found again, this time by a young art student. She believed the books were too important to be stowed away in a dark closet somewhere, so she acquired the collection. Then she set about making them public so that they could be admired and studied by flight enthusiasts from all over the world. Charles Delchou's illustrations had been very well organized, although it was clear that they weren't the only ones created. These were just the few that had survived. Imagine how history might have been changed had Charles simply let the world in on his little secret. He and Peter Menace could have made names for themselves or launched human innovation into the stratosphere. Instead, they kept it all to themselves, which meant the world had to wait for another group of innovative builders to push it into the age of aviation. That's why the pages of history only seem to remember the Wright brothers rather than Charles and his secret group of friends who took to the sky 50 years before. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Jeffrey Morris was not a name anyone at McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey would have recognized. It was a pseudonym, provided by a man in a tricky predicament. Morris had joined the military expecting to defend his country against all threats, foreign and domestic. However, one January evening in 1978, he confronted something unlike he'd ever expected, and lived to tell the tale. Between 3 and 5 a.m. that day, Morse had spotted numerous unidentified objects flying over the base. They'd also been seen flying over nearby Fort Dix and seemed to hover between the two compounds. A Fort Dix military police officer had spotted one of the flying objects low to the ground before stopping right over his car. The officer described it as an oval shape that glowed a bright blue-green. The MP's radio also died, and when he looked through his windshield, he noticed someone standing in front of his car. No, not someone. Something. It was grayish-brown, roughly four feet tall, with an enlarged head and gangly arms. The officer had never seen such a creature. Not knowing if it was friendly or dangerous, he got out of his car and drew his forty-five caliber handgun from its holster. And then he fired five rounds. Four of them hit the creature, while the last one was aimed directly at the flying object above. In response, the glowing vessel suddenly flew straight up and then nestled itself among 11 other ovals just like it in the sky. The person or creature he just shot, however, fled toward a wooded area between the two bases. Others at Fort Dix and McGuire Air Force Base had watched the objects in the sky fly off in a tight formation. The MP, though, took off through the shortcut in the woods via the runway. He had to see what it was that had escaped him. Several men on duty joined him, driving toward the fence line separating the base from the woods in search of the wounded being. They didn't have to go far, though, as it had scaled the fence and died several feet away. And it was then that the men realized that they were face-to-face with a creature not of this world. Its corpse even filled the air with a smell of ammonia that stung their noses. Their revelation, though, would be short-lived. Troops and authorities quickly arrived to rope off the area from views. Teams were brought in to collect the deceased creature and fly it away to an undisclosed location, where it was sealed off from the rest of the world, including the men who had confronted it near Fort Dix. The MP who had shot it, as well as Jeffrey Morse and anyone else present at the time, were all sworn to secrecy. No report was ever written about the event, and each person involved was threatened with a court-martial if they ever told anyone about what they had witnessed. 
Years later, in a letter to a researcher named Leonard Stringfield, Jeffrey Morse explained that he would be leaving the Air Force soon and could talk more about the incident then. When he got out, Morse did in fact speak with Stringfield, giving him a military report about the shooting to establish credibility. However, the report was a photocopy and not an original. Anyone could have fabricated it, which hurt his credibility. But even without the report, Morse and his story did have other merits. As recently as 2015, U.S. Navy pilots had documented their experiences with UFOs over American airspace. Lieutenant Ryan Graves had been in the Navy for 10 years and reported seeing strange objects overhead nearly every day. They would scream across the sky, as high as 30,000 feet, without leaving any trails in their wake. Some even hovered in place for up to 12 hours, more than any man-made vessel was capable of at the time. One year earlier, in 2014, another pilot almost flew straight into what he described as a sphere encasing a cube. Another spotted something on his radar system, an infrared camera, but couldn't see it at all with the naked eye or through the use of his helmet cam. UFO encounters have become fairly common occurrences among pilots since the 1980s, when radar systems were upgraded to pick up smaller, faster aircraft. And while that's not to say they're all of alien origin, the military still refuses to confirm or deny any of the reports. Whether or not those reports have been true, at least we can all agree on one thing. All of the stories are certainly curious. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.